Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sports Business Radio launched in 2004. Brian Berger has interviewed the biggest names in sports and business. Let's step into the Sports Business Radio vault and look back on some of our favorite conversations. This week, it's a Champions Edition with Pau Gasol, Mark Messier, and Andre Iguodala. Now, enter the Sports Business Radio vault. Now, here's Brian's interview with Pau Gasol from May 2020. My guest is Pau Gasol. He is a two-time NBA champion with the Los Angeles Lakers, six-time NBA All-Star, NBA Rookie of the Year in 2002, longtime member of the Spanish national team, led Spain to the FIBA World Championship in 2006, FIBA Eurobaskets all-time leading scorer, and the founder of the Gasol Foundation. You can find them online at gasolfoundation.org. Pau, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, it's uh, difficult times that we've been going through the last few months. But, um, you know, just trying to stay positive, uh, proactive, um, constructive. And, um, you know, that's kind of the way I believe is the best way to get through it. Yeah, I want to get to some of that stuff in a minute because your foundation is doing some amazing things. But I wanted to start off. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. You're so much more than just an athlete. And I've always been struck by the fact that you speak five languages. You could have become a doctor just as easily as a basketball player. And you're a classical pianist. You're, you're just a very uh, diverse person. What was it like growing up in the Gasol household? You know, we've, uh, we were lucky because we always had um, pretty much everything that we needed. Our, our parents really worked hard to provide that for us and provide opportunities. And I am as well diverse and rounded as I am because my, my parents gave me those opportunities, they gave me the opportunity to go to music class and piano class when I was eight and, and uh, allowed me to go to a school that I received a great education um, that um, exposed me to the world of, of arts and culture. Um, so I have a great appreciation. That's a big part of my life as well. I grew up in a household with my mom being a doctor, my dad being a nurse. So I, I wanted to be a doctor myself. Uh, and I went to, into med school uh, for a year um, until I, I finally decided that basketball was going to be uh, my main occupation. And I wanted to become uh, you know, a professional basketball player, and I could see that it was really happening for me. Uh, and my parents would not let me get off the, the education route until I had more of a solid, almost guarantee, not guarantee, but like a, a solid chance to do that. 
Um, so uh, again, it's all thanks, thanks to my parents and, and the opportunities, the education that they provided for me. How difficult of a decision was that at that crossroad of continuing with medical school or going all in on basketball? You know, it was difficult in a sense because I love medicine. I, I really enjoyed everything that I learned that year. Um, and I wanted to, to continue learning. And, and one of my dreams was also to be able to become a doctor and, and be able to heal people and provide health to people, which is something so obvious, uh, but so important and now so highlighted uh, this pandemic and with the COVID um, situation. So uh, again, uh, that was that was the hard part. Uh, the easy part was that I also wanted to become a basketball player and and become a professional player and maybe one day get to the NBA. Um, so I couldn't do both. They were highly demanding careers. I tried to do it for a year. It was extremely hard. I remember passing out a lot of nights with uh, books and notes on uh, my chest and just waking up with them in the morning. I was so exhausted um, just from trying to keep up uh, with everything. So, um, but it, it made me really appreciate how hard things are and how hard you have to work for. And, and, and when, once I made the decision to go all in into basketball, which is what I told my parents, I said, Dad, Dad Mama, if I really want to become a basketball player, I have to give it my all. It's not about comfort. It's not about being lazy. You know, this is a full-time dedication. So I convinced them that that was, even though they, they were, I had, we had a meeting with the dean after my first year of med school saying, hey, maybe Pao could do like only like three classes or two classes. So he doesn't really give it up completely. Uh, so like I can put it on hold and if basketball doesn't work out, I can get back to it. Um, but let me, let me give my full attention and energy to, to basketball. And I did, and it worked out obviously very, very well. When you played for the Lakers, uh, you used to go to children's hospital in Los Angeles. And I know you befriended some of the doctors there. Did that kind of scratch your itch a little bit? You, you couldn't be a doctor yourself, but you got to go observe some of those surgeries and, and befriend those people? Well, in, in every city, in every team that I played for, I've created a partnership with the Children's Hospital, uh, one of them at least. Uh, so in Memphis was San Jude Research uh, uh, Hospital, and from the very beginning, since I was a rookie, I, I developed a, a relationship with them. My dad worked at San Jude. My mom volunteered as a doctor. Uh, so uh, my ties with the medical field and healthcare are, are and always been very, very strong. So once I got traded to the Lakers, I developed a relationship with Children's Hospital. Uh, once I went to the Bulls with Lourdes Children. Once I went to the Laker, uh, the, the Spurs, uh, uh, the Methodist Children's Hospital in San Antonio. So it's always been uh, in Barcelona with uh, San Juan de Leo, the hospital there, Children's Hospital. Uh, again, it's so important to me in basketball and my success as a basketball player has given me a platform and a level of impact with, with kids, patients, uh, that it's been one of the most powerful experiences that I've always had in my life, you know, to be able to touch a kid's life that it's fighting for its own life um, and, and bringing positive energy, get a few smiles out of them or ever, um, and, and spend really like powerful and deep humane uh, human experiences and connections. Those have been the most, the most uh, probably greatest experiences of my career.
well, I commend you for it. It's amazing that you've always done that. I've gone with a number of pro athletes to children's hospitals. And one of the things they tell me all the time is all my problems go away. It really is a perspective shaper when you go into one of the hospitals there and you see the, the children and their families, you walk out going, okay, you know, maybe four for 13 from the field tonight isn't the worst problem going on in the world. No, it, it does. I think to me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important and how insignificant sometimes um, our own struggles are and uh, things that we consider important or really affect us that we really take to heart are not that big of a deal. Uh, I mean, not that you shouldn't care about what you do and you, know, you should work really hard for next game to do better and shoot better and contribute to, uh, to your team. And, and that, that edge is important as a professional athlete. And you don't want to lose it, but ultimately you do have to keep in mind, okay, this is not that big of a deal. If I uh, remember Popovich saying, you know, if losing in the first round or losing in the playoffs is the worst thing that happens to you in your life, you're, you're, you're in pretty good shape. You're, you're yeah. doing well. So, so let's just, uh, you know, not again, not that, cause there's, again, that's a competitive edge that you need to have as, as an athlete, if, especially if you want to win and finish at the top, uh, you, you can't really be okay with, with losing as, ah, it's okay. I missed it. All right. Uh, who cares? But, um, but there is an important sense of, hey, there's something bigger than basketball, bigger than sports, and, and it's beautiful that you can utilize your success in professional sports to touch people's lives, to make a difference in people's lives. And, uh, and I would definitely encourage all athletes to find their cause, find their passion, find um, whatever it is that, that touches them, and, and to make a, make a difference, make a difference in, in those people's lives and those kids' lives. Your brother is also part of the Gasol Foundation. Mark just got a ring with the Raptors last year. Um, I know how important the foundation is to you and your brother. You're doing some amazing things right now. Uh, I saw in Los Angeles last week meals for people, thousands of meals, backpacks. Uh, you know, you're really stepping up right now to help people during this pandemic. And then, you know, going on and on, you work with UNICEF, you're, you're battling childhood obesity. Maybe tell us a little bit about the focus of the Gasol Foundation. Well, our, our focus and our mission is to battle ch childhood obesity. Um, one of the, probably, probably the biggest threat that children have been exposed to uh, for the last years. Uh, I, I learned along, you know, in 2012, 2013, that children that were born today for the first time in history had shorter life expectancies than, than their parents. Uh, this last year, uh, we've learned from the UN, numbers from the UN, that there was for the first time more obese people in the planet than people with hunger. Uh, we're, we're dealing with a, a terrible situation that we need to be highly aware of. Uh, tech, the world is changing very fast. Technology is taking over. There are great tools out there but it's making us have worse habits uh, to, that affect our health in a very negative way. And we have to be aware of that. 
you know, we have to really empower ourselves. And from the foundation, we just want to empower children and families to have healthier lives so they don't develop obesity, so they don't develop cardiovascular diseases, they don't develop diabetes, and they have a good quality of life and they fulfill themselves as adults and as people. Um, so that's kind of our, our mission with UNICEF. My, my, develop, my relationship has developed over the years. I'm, I'm a good, I've been a goodwill ambassador since 2003. Um, but at least last year also, I was named Global Champion for Nutrition and Zero Childhood Obesity, um, kind of focusing more on the nutritional aspect of, of my relationship with UNICEF. And, the, and it's one of the four pillars in our work with the foundation. There's physical activity, there's nutrition, there's quality of rest, and there's emotional well-being. You know, and I think that also as uh, now mental health is becoming more, more of a normal subject to discuss. Uh, it's not such a taboo anymore, likely. And, and, and it's, I think there's a lot, a lot, still a lot of room for growth on that aspect, but we, we have to have that uh, feel and an aspect in mind uh, for us to continue to you know be who we want to be be you know being aware of our of our status of our health of our mental uh, health deal with stress especially now with the covid and that's why uh, our work has become even more important to be able to deal with the uncertainty the adversity the struggles the challenges uh, that, uh, that uh, COVID-19 has brought onto us. It's very important that we provide with knowledge and tools to be able to manage that in a healthy, in a healthy manner. So uh, we've, we've been very proactive, as you said, we've created partnerships with World Center Kitchen, delivering 4,000 meals in, in LA at the forum. We're delivering uh, about 800 meals in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, along with our uh, all of our content as far as uh, paying attention to healthy habits, uh, creating healthy challenges, what we call healthy, the healthy quarantine, healthy, bringing healthy smiles to people at homes during these difficult times and, and times that we have been forced to be confined into our own uh, homes. Uh, it's, you know, uh, all that it's critically uh, critical and in, in we have to continue to to, to push and be really proactive. And I think these times are times of need and times of need of leadership uh, and people that are willing to go the extra mile and really um, you know, uh, take a step forward and, and say, hey, I'm here, you can count on me, I wanna help you, uh, we're, we're gonna get through this together. I know Rafael Nadal and you have uh, put a goal of $12 million to raise during this time as well. So again, there's leadership. I've seen Rafa doing things in the tennis world. I see you doing things in the world at large, like you just described. You and Rafa have known each other for a long time. How did you come together on this initiative? You know, we're, we've been friends. We have developed a friendship of uh, mutual, more than mutual admiration, mutual respect for what we've been able to accomplish in our sports careers it's been more like a friendship a connection a personal connection and that's where uh from a phone call say hey you know this is what's going on it's really it's really bad it's really frustrating what can we do well let's let's join forces let's, let's just launch something together uh and we we uh we came up with this idea of our best victory and into really kind of um uh, through this this uh, call to action together with the Red Cross, which is called the the Red the Red Cross Answers, um, and and kind of 
try to bring all all athletes, all sports together and be kind of like the driver and uh, putting out this, this goal of $12 million to reach over 1.3 million people in Spain, the most, the most, mo the most affected by this crisis at all levels. Um, it, that's kind of how we uh, was born from a conversation and text over the phone. And we just say, hey, let's, let's go. Let's, let's put it out there, you know, in a, in a couple of days. Let's just work it out. Let's record the videos. Let's call our friends. Tell them to join forces. Let's use our platforms to really put together a coordinated effort. And to respond to this crisis um, and, and and we did and the response has been tremendous we've uh, now had athletes federations um, leagues uh, like joining in chipping in creating their own initiative um, to to be a part of our, our our call to action also the world of culture artists um, musicians have uh, joined in the private sector again I think we created a movement in Spain that was very important because athletes sometimes are, are seen as role models, but where those role models have to step up when things get ugly. Uh, there can't just be role models when things are going well and you're winning and, and people are like tapping you in the back how great you are or everyone, everything is kind of going on with their normal life. It's when the things get ugly when there's need that those role models have to step up and take action. Uh, and be proactive and and that's what we what we understand and what we uh, were able to kind of push push out and 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 bring to life again you're to be commended you're doing some amazing work right now i want to go back again to your your childhood your brother mark also nba player what was it like growing up were you guys competitive were you not really that competitive did you push each other to get to where you are today yeah, we were competitive. We were competitive um, and with everything that we did. There was a gap of age, four and a half years, that it's significant. Um, but nevertheless, I was always, you know, I always kind of try to push him to, you know, if he wanted to beat me, whatever it was, he was going to have to work for it. He was going to have to earn it. And I was not going to take it lightly on him. And um, so I... You know, I always made sure that he understood I was a big brother. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that that uh, hopefully helped him kind of uh, wanting to, to keep working and to push himself and to uh, kind of also piss him off a little bit, if you will, to, 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 to get better and to try, to try to beat me. And he's become, you know, one of the best players also in the planet. And he's made a name... Uh, for himself because until probably until he was 18, 19, 20 or so, he was just Paul brother. Um, uh, so he's, he's an incredible example of, of hard work, of dedication, self-discipline, commitment, and just, just, you know, his path was not easy. You know, when he went to, to the U.S., he gained a, a bunch of weight that he had to lose. He had to make a tough decision by leaving kind of the family that was with Mem in Memphis with me uh, and left after finishing high school. He left back to Barcelona and said, hey, I got I to gotta create my own path, you know, and, and, and I, I don't think being here is good for me. Uh, so I just got to just got to go back. And, and he, he worked, you know, he, he really, really put his mind into it. And, and again, he's, uh, he's become an incredible basketball player, uh, but also a great human being. Well, and how crazy it is it that you guys get traded for each other 
And then, you know, obviously years later, you play on the Spanish national team. That's got to be a highlight for both of you, I would imagine. What pride playing for your country together with your brother. We've had an incredible journey. Uh, We couldn't even dream of the the things that we've been able to experience and and accomplish uh, as individuals and uh, as brothers and as a family. So uh, we just uh, have been so fortunate uh, to, to, to be able to do that, um, that uh, we were able to play with the national team together in 2006 and won, winning our first World, World Cup in, in Japan. Um, then, as you said, being traded for each other, I think we're the only brothers that got ever traded for each other, even though Mark was not in the league yet, but it was his draft rights were with the Lakers and his draft rights went to Memphis when I went to, to LA in 2008. Uh, first brothers to start an all-star game 2015 was an incredible uh, moment when we were able to jump off uh, that um, in, in Madison Square Garden uh, during that all-star game and then first brothers that ever won an NBA championship uh, so again a lot a lot of great athletes uh, to me one of the things that I want us to do and that's why we created the Gasol Foundation in 2013 was that uh, all this success that we were able to achieve in basketball and playing professionally, this is kind of, we're working on our legacy beyond that. And, and that's why we wanted to kind of give back and help children around the world to have the same opportunities that we've had, um, share the knowledge that we've gained and, and, and know that works um, through our lives, shared with the with, uh, families that we work with, people in need, people that are in extreme sometimes situations, uh, families that have very little means. Um, so we want to make sure we, we're in touch with them because at the end of the day, they're, vul- they're vulnerable populations, they're populations at risk, and, and we want to make sure that we are not neglecting them and that we're there for them and, and, and kind of uh, build kind of our legacy. I, I hope that the Gasol Foundation kind of surpasses us and continues to have impact beyond our lives. Uh, and that's kind of what we are building. Other than your parents, is there someone who you look up to as a mentor, someone who's taught you business or, hey, here's how you build a foundation, things of that nature? Uh, well, I've, I've learned throughout the way I... Um, I have learned by reading, uh, so reading a lot of books have, uh, has been a big help. Uh, Peter Drucker, I uh, read a few books of, of Peter Drucker as far as managing um, a foundation or um, a charity um, and, and so forth. So I, I learned quite a bit from him. Uh, I learned from different foundations how they work, um, and I've met with uh, uh, directors of uh, the most, some of the most founda- uh, successful foundations, um, and I've listened and asked questions, and and I think that that's been also very important. Um, and then just by uh, associating myself with people that uh, that are great, that have more experience than I do, bringing in board members uh, that are knowledgeable, and I can learn from them, and they can bring something that I cannot. Uh, so surrounding myself with highly, I guess, prepared and educated people uh, and experienced people um, have been, has been also a great source of, of uh, information and knowledge for me. 
you played for two of the greatest coaches in NBA history, Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich. I imagine you probably learned a lot basketball wise, but you probably learned a lot about life from them as well. Both very different, but what did you learn from each? Uh, I guess uh, with Phil, I learned a lot. He, he was just a fantastic coach and person that I, you know, love dearly. Uh, um, and so I learned how to, uh, you know, meditation was a huge, you know, the, the huge thing that he brought that it was completely new to me, that is completely foreign and unknown. So for him to expose his players it's, um, into meditation, into group meditation as well, and that then translated into reading about meditation, about experiencing it more, trying it more, getting into the habit of doing it, and how that's uh, you know a very important tool in order to, to deal with the ups and downs of, of life, of, of sports, of centering yourself, of being mindful of where you are and, and who you are. I think those, that's kind of the biggest, probably the biggest takeaway uh, and biggest lesson that I've learned and has, a, had, has, has had the biggest impact in my life from Phil. Uh, from Greg or Pop, um, you know, a, a different approach. Um, I, I've, I've also learned some good things. Uh, he was more, um, he taught players, he taught our players about general knowledge, about caring about other causes. He's very involved and very, I guess, vocal about politics and about racial issues. Uh, he also gave books to the players, which I loved. Um, he actually gave a CD to all of us. Um, Two, two of them. One was opera. One was a, col a collection of Luciano Pavarotti's uh, 50 best performances or, or, or arias, and and I love that. Which I'm, I was already an opera fan, but I you know I appreciated that. And and I think the other one was an African American uh, singer uh, who is also you know, a great one of the all time great great singers too. And and he uh, he gave it to the to the team. So he he kind of um, and the thing that I like probably a lot about pop is, uh, which has been said, is one of the like the keys to the to the Spurs family culture, is how you know team meals something that uh, that he encourages, and he encourages team meals after games on the road. Uh, so he makes sure that a good, a very good quality restaurant is open after a game. That the whole team can come and uh, you can break bread and mingle and kind of come together and bond after a win, after a loss. Uh, you know, we're a team, and uh, that's been a huge, uh, I think, a huge thing, which is very difficult in the NBA because kind of everyone is kind of on their own, on their own bubble, uh, doing their own thing with their own friends. And he was very inclusive, uh, bringing everyone together. And those and creating that that chemistry and that familiarity within the team. So I think that that's important. That's an important one. I've heard that Pop is pretty legendary with his uh, selection of wines. He is a wine connoisseur, so I imagine you had some pretty good wine at those uh, team meals as well. Yeah, we had some really some really good wines. Uh, I was always uh, very open and ready to enjoy those those choices. Uh, uh, so it, no, yeah, he's um, he's definitely a, a wine fan. Um, appreciates it as uh, a big part of uh, I think who who he is, and and the wines were always present in those dinners. And not not that everyone had them. Not everyone has to love wine, but um, you know, I definitely appreciated it too.
much like yourself, very diverse. Again, you speak a number of different languages. Kobe Bryant, when I watched you two, you know, it was wonderful to watch you play basketball together, but I always kind of wondered, wow, these are two really bright people. They speak multiple languages. They have diverse interests. Kobe, you know, won an Oscar, um, was so well-read, spoke multiple languages. What were some of the things that you guys discussed non-basketball-wise? I would imagine those were fascinating conversations. Yeah, um, we had many conversations, uh, more so after uh, our time as teammates, uh, where we were able to kind of get away from the on-court um, I guess mindset and, and uh, what we were trying to accomplish. I think once once you're in a in a position that you can win championships and, and you want to win them badly, that's all you think about. Uh, and that's kind of where we were immersed for the first part and during our, our years together as teammates. And we developed an incredible connection on the court, complemented each other very well. We communicated well. We created just a, a great flow, very organic uh, from, from the beginning. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, after we started talking about, okay, what do we want to do? What do we want to build off the court? You know, whether it was business ideas, um, opportunities, we would, uh, he would tell me what he was working on and he was thinking about, and I, was, and I would tell him what I was working on on my end. And, and we would just kind of listen to each other and kind of chip in into, okay, well, well let's see this, let's see that. Um, you know, he was very passionate about creating content and sharing his knowledge uh, via books or a little basketball history. Uh, it's just uh, with the short film was an incredible success, as you we all know. Um, but his commitment to to share his knowledge, to to leave a legacy behind, to share everything that is that he learned through kids' books, um, you know, which you know, I think was was great. And he also wanted to help players financially, so he created a fund where players could uh, you know could invest comfortably and confidently, knowing that he was in it. That uh, he had a big stake at it, and he invested uh, significantly in it. Um, you know, the, the the sports academy was also uh, to provide a platform for players to to have that Mamba mentality. So he was all about having impact, creating, um, and sharing, and uh, and just continuing to apply his mindset of. Of, of I'm not just a basketball player, but I'm so much more than that. And I have so many opportunities and he always brought the best of the best. You know, when he brought his, when he was uh, writing his books, he, he talked to uh, George R. R. Martin, the, the creator of uh, Game of Thrones. He talked to Pablo Coelho, Pablo Coelho, the, the great Brazilian writer. He talked to the top writers in the world to, to pick their brains. And that was what everything that he did. Uh, he he knew he had the access. He knew he had the respect. He he was not embarrassed or scared. He did the same with Michael. You know, when he started playing basketball, I want to be the best basketball player ever. I'm gonna make sure I send questions to Michael Jordan, pick his brain, uh, and and absorb as much as I can to to be better than him. Really, I mean that's what he wanted to do. Uh, you know, so um, so I think it's a he's. Had so many lessons to, to be learned from for, for anyone, for any person that strives to be the best that they can be. You know, uh, and that's uh, you know, I have a lot of a lot of great memories and lessons uh, from from him that I will apply for as long as I live. 
Yeah, I bet. Uh, I watched The Last Dance, and between watching that and, and seeing Michael Jordan speak at Kobe's memorial service, it really did strike me that Kobe was really the only guy that kind of broke through Jordan's hard shell and, and got through to him. And as Michael described Kobe as a little brother and the respect that Michael Jordan had for Kobe and, you know, Kobe seemed like we, we always hear about that Mamba mentality. He seemed like he was built the same way that Michael was with practicing hard and demanding championships. And, and there was really nothing less than that. How was it playing with someone who brings that mentality to everything they do, practices, and, and like you said, outside of basketball achievements as well? It was a privilege in order to, to have that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, it could be hard at times, um, but once you understood where he was coming from, he just wanted to win. He wanted to win badly. So he was willing to do whatever it took and to push his teammates to kind of bring their best and to bring that same edge and approach. And that is a huge factor why we were able to win. And it speaks highly of what type of the type of leader that he was as well. So he just learned a lot from, from Michael. He understood and had him as, you know, okay, he's the best uh, of the best. And he opened the door, so I'm going to capitalize on it, and I'm going to be as annoying as I can be uh, to absorb as much as I can so I can become the best um, and I can dominate. Um, so um, so uh, once I you, – you could see how badly he wanted to win, how much he worked, um, how dedicated he was. Um, you know, that's kind of what you want to be – associated with and it's it's business you know it's nothing personal you know it's it's just competitive it's highly competitive you got to put your feelings aside and and just do do what it takes push yourself and and, and don't set short don't, don't set yourself short and just continue to you know understand that, it, that if you're going to face hardship you're going to have to be prepared uh, and you got to have to you know, train that hardship uh, during, during practices um, and throughout the season. Well said. Uh, a few minutes left. The difference between basketball and Europe and the fans there and, you know, Eurobasket and EuroLeague and then the NBA. I have not spent a lot of time in Europe. I have not been at some of those big events there. You've been to both at the highest levels. What's the difference between the fans in Europe and the U.S.? Oh, um, I think fans, fans in Europe, they're highly passionate. Uh, I mean, now there's more games, but before there used to be one game in the weekend or, and kind of like almost, almost like uh, not quite as, as American football where you have like one, it's every weekend one game and the EuroLeague came along and then now it's uh, so two games a week uh, and maybe two of them or one of them were at home, the other one were, were away. So every game had a, an importance and a meaning. Uh, and fans are like diehard fans. They're loyal fans. If a team loses, that's, that's tough and that's hard. And they, they carry that with them. If their team wins, they're euphoric, they're great, they're happy, they're excited. Um, so I think that the, the emotional impact, it's, it's a lot deeper in Europe uh, by the affiliation. Um, 
players don't get traded. So the, the, I think the relationship and identification with players, it's, it's, it's higher uh, for the most part. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I grew up with. Then I came here, so many games, uh, teams can move from city to city, not, not very often, but it has happened. Um, uh, players get traded, uh, teams can be like renewed pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and it's and there's so many games, right? There's so many games, so it's more of a almost a form of entertainment. Uh, and there's um, and if you win, great. If we lose, great. Well, there's a game tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it's cool. So uh, and once I got to the NBA, that was kind of one of the, one of the hardest adjustments joining the Grizzlies because we weren't a very good team, a team in rebuilding that just joined a new city, went from Vancouver to Memphis in 2001. Um, Played in the pyramid uh, for for a few years before the FedEx Forum was built. Um, again, uh, it was it was we. I lost the same amount of games in a week that I had lost in a previous season with FC oh, Barcelona. Man. So I was like, "What what's going on?" Like I I'm taking every loss so hard, uh, and and it's so painful. Like what uh, what can I do? Um, so I learned to deal and cope with that. Like, look, you got 78 more games. So, you know, you got to just got to leave that kind of next play mentality. You also kind of like learn to, okay, and on to the next one, next play. Forget about yesterday. Well, let's focus on today. Let's give your best shot today and, and try to win and, and do your best today, right? So I, I learned that what, during my first season. And, you know, and then uh, you work hard to be able to turn those losses into wins. And we were able to build a competitive team um, for, for a few years with the Grizzlies. And, and we had some good runs. Um, and then I got traded to the Lakers later on. And I had those opportunities uh, to win championships, which we capitalized uh, on two seasons. Yeah. What's ahead for you? We've had some downtime here during this pandemic. Uh, I'm sure you've been able to get your foot healthy or at least healthier than it was. Uh, I, I've talked to some of my NBA friends and they said, you know what, Pau Gasol would be one heck of an NBA executive one day, you know, working in a, in a front office. You obviously, as we discussed earlier in the interview, you're doing so much to help the world at large. Have you thought during this time, like, hey, this is what I might want to do going forward? Well, first, uh, you know, I, I focus on what's at stake and what's uh, in front of me right now. It's trying to get healthy and trying to get my foot right. Uh, uh, it is getting healthier um, but the, the, the confinement and the pandemic uh, has, has slowed me down too, which in a way it's been good because it's given me more time. Uh, in another way, it has kind of um, stopped me from taking some, some steps that I had planned as far as like doctors, visiting doctors, uh, make, making um, or designing my new orthotics, doing bi biomechanical studies. Uh, to be able to adjust to my, my, my mechanics uh, and make sure that the navicular, uh, left navicular doesn't suffer as much um, so or doesn't take as much load as it, as it was. So again, um, my first goal in mind is to get my foot right, uh, hopefully as we are deconfining ourselves and kind of easing into uh, other phases, uh, uh, we, uh, I'll be able to do some of the things that I have, have planned uh, for late March and April. Um, and then uh, continue to move forward with my rehab and hopefully complete my, my healing and have a chance to potentially play again. Uh, I think during August, September, I will find out if that's, if that's the case. 
if that's the case, then I will think about whether um, you know, I want to play another season and get to play my fifth Olympics in 2021, which I was that I, my goal before the, 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 the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Um, and, um, but if that's not the case, the executive side definitely interests me. Uh, I've already had teams kind of reach out um, before I even uh, found out or decided whether I was going to continue to play or not. So, hey, we would like, we have you on our radar. Like we would, we are very interested in having you on board. Um, so that is definitely something that uh, would be, I think, a great transition place for me to be able to be a part of a team and a franchise from a different position and to build and be a part of a, a building process of a winning culture uh, in, you know, somewhere. So that's kind of a, that's kind of an exciting part of it that, uh, that I might get here sooner or later, but uh, I definitely have it on my radar and it's something that um, it definitely interests me a lot. Well, I, you have my endorsement. I think you'd be one heck of an executive and uh, just a, a great mentor for the people playing for that organization. Last question. Uh, you know, you're a guy that, like you said, team meals, you like to go out and have dinner. If you can have dinner with, you know, you and three other people, let's say, who's, who's on your dinner list? Who do you want to go have dinner with? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. You know, I'm not a... A person that idolizes or like right. uh, uh, a, a, a lot, even though to me what I like mostly to, to two things. It would be with people that I really care about, so family and closest friends, because at the end of the day, I think this pandemic has always reminded us to not take those people for granted. Um, so that's one thing. And I, I guess if I could have looking at not just a fun meal, but maybe, you know, if I had to, my last meal, I would, I would have it with people that I care about and people that I love. Uh, on a second version of it, um, I like to surround myself with people that, are, that stimulate me that I can learn from um, or they, and that I admire. So, um, so uh, people that could really, that I would be in tune of uh, accomplishing great things, being a game changer. Um, really leaving a powerful mark in this world. Um, and who would that be? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, whether it's Bill, Bill Gates being a powerful figure and a huge person, philanthropist that has impacted the world in, in many different ways. Uh, you know, that's very interesting to me, very powerful. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, another person that has uh, also has tremendous uh, uh, success with with Facebook, um, you know, uh, that would be a very interesting and in how he kind of channels his success into, you know, having great social impact and helping others. Uh, so that those are interesting. I wish I could have had dinner with Nelson Mandela. I uh, uh, was a, one person that I would have loved to to sit down and, and listen um, and, and many other people that, you know, that, uh, that I would just like to get in a room with like passionate people that were ready to, you know, to, to, to act or they're ready to kind of combine efforts. And that's what I'm about. You know, I'm about making, being a part of a team, combining efforts, complementing each other, uh, you know, kind of uniting forces to, to reach a bigger goal and a bigger 
uh, I guess, distance. So that's uh, whoever that, that was in line that was, well, wanted to be a part of that, um, I, I want you to be at that dinner. <laughs> Sounds like a great dinner. Well, look, congrats on a great career so far. Uh, I hope that you are able to continue to play if you want to. I hope you get that front office job if that's what you want. But, you know, again, you're such a diverse guy and uh, you've made a great impact on the world. I hope you stay safe during this time. And thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Pau Gasol, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Pau Gasol. And you can go to the Gasol Foundation website at GasolFoundation.org. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. That's insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. Now, here's Brian's interview with Mark Messier from March 2021. My guest is Mark Messier. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer, six-time Stanley Cup champion, first and only player to captain two different teams to the Stanley Cup, two-time Hart Memorial Trophy winner as the NHL's MVP, brand captain for Akeso Hemp-Powered Hydration. You can follow him on Instagram at TheRealMarkMessier. Mark, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Great to be on with you. So let's start by talking about your your partnership with Akeso. Um, I have never heard of such a company that is hemp-powered hydration. Explain to us the product and how you got involved with them. Yeah, um, interesting uh, question and uh, something that, uh, you know, for me, I, I played uh, professional hockey up until I was 43, 44 years old. Uh, was always into... Uh, new techniques, uh, new design technology. And if you, you can imagine, I played in four different decades. So I really saw uh, the transformation of our game in so many different ways, uh, from equipment standards to uh, practices, to off-ice training, to uh, supplements, to nutrition. Um, and it's one of the things that really kind of allowed me to stay healthy and fit and play till I was at the age of you know, 43, 44, 26 years pro. Uh, in retirement, uh, you know, 43, 44, starting a young family, wanted to make sure that I was able to run around and uh, play with the kids and uh, and be able to keep up and live a, you know, super healthy life, uh, active life. I'm very active uh, in, in, all, in all sports. I work out, uh, you know, I playing, fishing, hiking, spending time outdoors and wanted to be able to do it without a lot of problems. I'd heard a lot of stories about CBD and this efficacy of, from people that had been um, struggling with their health uh, in their joints in pain and things and, and 
just more and more stories started to come up with these people, with the people using CBD. Uh, I became interested in just in their own journeys of how it was helping them. Um, I think we all got, uh, were fascinated by the young girl who had many seizures and traditional medicines weren't helping her. And she finally was introduced to an extraction of the, of a, a marijuana plant when they were able to extract the CBD and how it helped her stop her, uh, seizures. I think the world kind of started to take notice then, um, about the efficacy of that, uh, other than traditional medicines. And for myself as an athlete, um, how do you stay hydrated, uh, without, you know, pouring all the sugar into you and, uh, getting all the effects and benefits from CBD? Uh, I was approached by a, a, a queso, uh, and the people behind it, uh, of their, of their por- uh, sports performance water. Uh, I tried it, I looked into it and I said, if you can get hydrated, with a tasty drink of water, you can get 10 milligrams of CBD and you can get some electrolytes and then the benefits of some uh, stress relief and anxiety. I'm going to sign up for that. <laughs> and, uh, and that's exactly what happened. I, I, I believe in the product. I'm using the product. Uh, it's a refreshing drink of water without all the sugars added to it. And so we can call ourselves a, a sports performance, uh, hydration, uh, uh, beverage. And I think that's pretty, uh, pretty appealing to me anyways. I'm sure over the last uh, 25, 30 years, you've been approached by many companies to work with them. What are the qualities and traits that you look for before you say yes to working with a company? Very simple. I thought I was in the hockey business for 26 years, but I, when I retired, I realized I was in the people business. And uh, it's all about galvanizing people together to share, share a dream and, and work together for a common goal. And so the first thing that I've always done is I've made an effort to get to know the people behind any of the products that I ever endorsed or got involved with and make sure I felt comfortable with the vision, the direction, the character, uh, the qualities that, uh, you know, afforded me success, uh, aligning with people that had the same kind of, um, you know, aspirations as I did. Uh, it, I don't think it's any different in business. Uh, so that's the first one. Second one is that uh, I have to be able to <laughs> believe in the product and want to uh, use the product. Uh, and to me, uh, hydration was something that uh, became very key in my own experiences as a professional athlete, especially down in the playoffs when it became very hot and humid in the rinks. Uh, I saw where hydration, where players got hydrated and uh, were hooked up to IV uh, bottles late in, in playoff games. Uh, it, 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 it hindered their performance. And so I was well aware of, uh, of how being dehydrated can make cowards of the best players in the world if they w- didn't take care of it. So, um, and then of course, all the benefits that, uh, with hydration, with the CBD, it just seemed to be a, a, an amazing uh, product. And so, you know, I spent enough time talking to the people, uh, how they're able to infuse this CBD into the water without any kind of taste, which was incredibly, uh, uh innovative. And it's to do it without all the harmful effects of a lot of sugar. So um, though, that's really the simple uh, answer of the process that I take to uh, align myself with any, any person or any company. I want to talk some hockey with you. I'm actually based in Portland, Oregon. And my research tells me that you lived in Portland for a little bit. Did your dad play for the Portland Buckaroos? 
Well, long history. Uh, my dad was a was a professional hockey player and and did he played for the Portland Buckaroos back in the '60s. Uh, so I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, in 1961. Uh, he was traded uh, quickly after that to uh, um, to Portland from from the Edmonton Flyers, and uh, I spent the first six seven years of my life in Portland, Oregon. We lived in uh, in Beaverton. Wow. And. Uh, and uh, we had a cabin up in the rhododendron on the base of Mount Hood. And so I spent my childhood uh, fishing along the zigzag river and up and down the mountain uh, uh, there. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And then, of course, uh, years later, when I was 16 years old, I got a chance to play for the junior hockey for the Portland Winterhawks in the same building that my father played. And so it was it was, uh, it was really gratifying to be able to, uh, to do that and bring it back home to Portland. How did you first get introduced to hockey? Obviously, you have a dad who played, but like at what age did you say, this is something that I really want to do the rest of my life? Well, I remember going with my living in Portland and going with my dad to his practices before I was in school. And I, I had a chance to skate before their players got on the ice because, you know, there wasn't uh, much hockey in Portland. There was zero hockey at, at the time. Uh, my father was actually the one who started the whole minor league hockey program in Portland back in the in the sixties. Um, so that was my first introduction to uh, to hockey. Uh, of course, everybody wants to be like their dad. I saw my dad playing hockey. I've you know very vague memories of of going to the games and sitting behind the net and watching him. Uh, you know, I was probably six years old, so it's it's very vague. But uh, but I do remember traveling with him to the to the rink and and skating before with my older brother and. Uh, and so my early, earliest uh, introduction to hockey was actually in Portland, Portland, Oregon. Wow, that's amazing. You are one of the great leaders in the history of sports, any sport. Again, six Stanley Cups, uh, the only player to captain two different teams, the Oilers and the Rangers, to Stanley Cups. Mark, what makes for a good leader? We have a lot of people who listen to this show who are not only sports leaders, but business leaders. What makes for a good leader? Yeah, that's uh, that's a secret question. Uh, <laughs> you get asked that often, and I don't know if there's any one thing that makes a great leader. I think there's many different styles of leadership. Uh, for me, um, I always felt that I was never a player that could carry a team uh, by myself, and so uh, all of my success uh, came from uh, the inclusion of everybody and making everybody feel uh, responsible, making everybody and holding everybody accountable. And anything other than your best wasn't good enough. For each and every player, no matter how much they played, uh, whether you're the top minute guy or the or the least amount of, of, of player that, uh, in minutes, uh, everybody uh, uh, had to do their job and, and, and do it well and then, um, you know, be praised for it. Uh, trust uh, is something that you can never uh, discount. Um, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln said that no man can govern another without his consent. Uh, you have to earn the, the, the trust of the players in order to lead them. And that takes a lot of effort uh, away from the ring to get to know each and every individual personally and figure out where they've come from, you know, what motivates them, what uh, issues they might have that are holding them back from reaching their potential. Um, and you create, in my experiences anyways, uh, we tried to create a real family atmosphere where, uh, you know, we were a brotherhood and we were looking out, out after each other. And, um, and you share, uh, you share, uh, hopefully you find something that can, you know, galvanize the team together, um, a certain motivation and it can be different every year. Uh, you just never know where that motivation is going to come from, but 
ultimately, um, you know, everybody has to feel really good about the position that they're on the team. They have to feel good about their participation in the success of the team. And, uh, and uh, trust is just a, just a massive factor, in my opinion. I think the Oilers are one of the most underrated dynasties in sports history. Five Stanley Cups. What was it like when you had it going and, you know, it was the glory days there in Edmonton. The games are sold out. You played with Wayne Gretzky. That must have been quite an amazing uh, feeling. It was uh, one of the most incredible experiences of my life, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, we all started there when we were 18 years old to an expansion team in my hometown. I knew what NHL hockey meant to the people in Edmonton. I know we got the WHA came in uh, as as the other pro league in the in the, in the early seventies, and it was amazing. But it, you know, it still wasn't the NHL. I had many aunts and uncles and relatives that were either you know Montreal Canadian fans or Toronto Maple Leaf fans, and uh, so I knew the power of the NHL. And to have a you know NHL franchise come to Edmonton, uh, it was nobody could believe it. To be honest with you. Uh, you know, we're 18 years old. We, we, we come into the league. Uh, we have some older veterans on the team, but a lot of young guys in the first two or three years, weaving our way through the, through the uh, uh, professional life uh, as a young kid. And of course, you know, there's this little skinny kid called Wayne Gretzky that, uh, you know, changed the face of the game forever. And uh, we were lucky to have him on our side. And, uh, you know, it, be quick, it, it became very uh, apparent quickly that uh, Wayne at some point was going to win a Stanley Cup so we wanted to figure out a way how we could uh, contribute to that success in any way we could and we formed an amazing uh, alliance as a brotherhood between you know the core group of players that were there for many years and uh, were able to go on and win you know five Stanley Cups in in seven years actually six six finals in eight years but uh, but uh, it was an amazing run and uh, all led by Wayne and, uh, and the other great players that uh, were, uh, were alongside for the ride. That was remarkable. But I got to tell you, Mark, I think what you did in New York was even more remarkable. A 54-year drought for the New York Rangers. You go there. And one of the hardest things to do in sports is change a culture, especially a losing culture. You went in there and led them to a Stanley Cup. And I think that was one of your more remarkable achievements in your career. What was it like to go in and change a culture of a franchise? Very interesting. I had been a part of the culture from the beginning in Edmonton that we built. Uh, and I became very aware of the culture that we built because some players would come in and uh, they weren't able to latch on to the culture for some reason or another. But it became very apparent when they couldn't. and. Uh, and if you do have a strong culture, the decisions that you have to make on player evaluation become very easy there because they're either in or they're out. Um, and we built that in Edmonton. So I didn't think much of it till I got to New York and, and realized that the culture needed to be changed. Uh, and the one thing you can't be afraid is uh, to uh, articulate what you're uh, trying to do as, as, as a team. Uh, in our sport, we're trying to win a Stanley Cup. So if you're not willing to talk about winning a Stanley Cup and how you're going to try to win a Stanley Cup and the roadmap to get to the Stanley Cup, and everything you do is going to be based on whether that gives us a better chance to win the Stanley Cup or that gives us a worse chance to win the Stanley Cup. But if you have that in your mindset all the way through and you're not afraid of the pressures that that put on each and every individual from the players to the coaches to the managers to the owners, then you can start to kind of really work towards uh, achieving it. 
it, it, it was something that was not welcome to talk about it because uh, for many different reasons that we don't need to get into. But uh, I think we're able to change that over time in, in the three years that I was there. Um, you know, one thing I didn't really anticipate was not being able to talk about all the experiences I had in Edmonton because it, what became apparent to me at the time was that the players in New York didn't care about what happened in Edmonton. The only thing they cared about was what was going to happen in New York with them. So we had to kind of go through all these experiences together, all the while knowing, uh, you know, what was right, what was wrong uh, from the past, uh, you know, 10 years, 12 years in Edmonton, but had to relive it with the, with the players in New York, uh, you know, earn their trust to lead them, uh, go through the, the, you know, the failures, the ups and downs, uh, celebrate the victories and the small steps towards it with all the while not taking your eye off what we're there for and, and to make sure that we started talking about it. And in fact, our third, by the third year, when Mike Keenan came in, the first thing he did in training camp was to show us the 1986 uh, ticker tape parade with the New York Mets. And so everybody started to envision what it would be like for us to win a Stanley Cup. And here we are now, 53, 54 years later, it never been done. And now we're 84 years later or more and counting with only one Stanley Cup. So it was a remarkable achievement with a remarkable uh, team of players that uh, sacrificed everything they had to get the job done. But one thing uh, I'll, I'll keep getting back to is that everybody knew what the goal was and everybody was working day in and day out to try to achieve it. From everyone I've ever talked to who's played in New York or worked for a sports team in New York, they say winning a title in New York is just different. Like, you know, you're never going to buy another dinner there. It's amplified there more than any place else. The sports fans are so diehard. Has that been your experience? It, it was an amazing experience in that regard in every way. Um, I think when I got to New York, I, I, I understood that the, the original six, the history, uh, the challenges that the team had had, uh, the failures that the team had had, the successes that the, fail the team had had, but all the successes were always met with failures in the end. So anytime in, the, in that great season that we had in 93-94, when we would set a team record, we were always reminded that, uh, you know, that happened in 1970, whatever, and then the team lost. So uh, we kind of kept our focus in on what we were trying to accomplish. We never let that kind of drag us down. We played fearless. Uh, you know, all the team's past success um, didn't, didn't alter our, didn't alter our mindset. It didn't alter our, 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 uh, our, our confidence. Um, we just kept plugging away. Uh, we were a very confident uh, team. And, uh, you know, when we finally won, um, it, it was just incredible, actually, to see the reaction. When I got to New York, I, I got to know a lot of fans. I really, you know, I knew about the fan base, but until you actually experience it, and don't forget there, the first year we won the President's Trophy, the second year we didn't even make the playoffs. So we rode this huge wave all the way up the curve, all the way down to the deepest depths of despair <laughs> that you can imagine by losing and not even making the playoffs, which had only been done for a team that won the President's Trophy and then missed the playoffs the next year. I don't think it had ever been done. Then the third year, going all the way back up the roller coaster to the pinnacle and winning the Stanley Cup. But I think that's one of the things that made the the the, the title in the Stanley Cup so special is that I understood the passion uh, uh, on a deeper level, uh, be, having been uh, part of that uh, losing season and uh, being a focal point of that for many different reasons. 
but it also is what made the championship so special. And I think what cemented the relationship uh, with that team, with the fans even more so. Mark, just a few minutes left before I let you go. Uh, the state of the NHL, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't feel like I know many of the hockey players personally. I, I feel like I know NBA players, NFL players, some of the baseball players. The hockey players, I don't feel like I know them very well. What can the NHL do to make the hockey players more marketable or introduce them to the fans a little bit more? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, hockey fans traditionally, or hockey players traditionally have always been, um, it's such a team game. Everything is about the team in hockey. You can't win alone in, in any sport. Certainly, you can't win alone in hockey. So everybody is taught from a very early age or that it's all about the team, which is exactly what you need to do in order to be successful. And everything is geared towards the team. Um, and so it's hard for players to make that transition from, um, you know, a spokesperson or stepping outside the team to do anything because of the fear of being uh, labeled, uh, whatever. Uh, and, and, and traditionally, it's been hard. I think we're, we're doing a better job now. I think social media has made a, a difference in that regard where players can express themselves a little more openly uh, without any kind of backlash. Um, and, you know, I just think, you know, we've come a long way in the game of hockey, believe me, as far as marketing and, and uh, not only the game itself, but the pl individual players. Um, and, and really it, it, it gets down to the individual player themselves of how they want to present themselves to the world. Uh, you know, some players don't want to do that. Other players are a little more apt to kind of do it and, and, um, and, uh, show a little more of their, of their personality away from the game and all that. So I think it's really an individual choice. I don't think it's a league problem. Uh, I think our game has been, uh, you know, with the new TV contracts over the last five, 10 years, I think. You know, with the HD TV, it's it's way easier to follow on TV now. Um, you know, the business has grown, so obviously things are 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 uh, are stable in that regard. And uh, I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't know if the, if the league has ever been as competitive it is as it is. And it seems like every team has great young players that come into the into the teams every year, and you can there seems to be a superstar on almost every team. Um, so I think the appetite for the games is high. Uh, I enjoy watching the games. I mean, I spent my whole entire life playing hockey, and I I still love watching the games on the, when I get a chance at night. So uh, and keeping up with the players and what's going on, and the and the taglines and the stories behind the scenes and all that. Uh, so I like where the game is at. Uh, and to your point there, I think there's so many interesting stories and so many interesting players that could be told but it's really up to the individuals of how deep they want to take it. And as you can see in other sports, uh, some players take it further than others. And so I think it's more of an individual choice. All right. Before I let you go, how does a kid from Canada wind up owning the runaway Hill club in the Bahamas where you fly the Canadian flag there at the resort? <laughs> that looks like a nice place, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I grew up, uh, you know, outdoors, uh, you know, hunting, fishing, uh, outdoors, anything to do with outdoors. I love the water. Uh, the water uh, was somewhere that I could get on the off season and really kind of 
seemed to get away from everything uh, after a hard season. You know, as a captain, I just wasn't living my own life. I had to live 30 lives during the course of regular season, and it was exhausting, to be honest with you. And so the summers, I really took uh, time to recharge myself, and I found that uh, being on the water was a way I could really do that and get away from everything. And I started, you know, I fished my whole life uh, on freshwater uh, rivers and lakes and all that. Uh, Got down to Hilton Head in 91 uh, started going 80 miles offshore in a little center console boat uh, at three in the morning and, wow. and fishing there. And ultimately got down to the Bahamas, which I fell in love with and bought a, a, a 55 foot sport fisherman. And we were, you know, we'd go off for months at a time fishing up and down the Bahamian islands and stopped here in Harbor Island and, uh, fell in love with the island, uh, you know, fell in love with the people, you know, got, I came up to runaway hill here and, uh, Started talking to the previous owners and and thought this would be a good place to hang my hat in retirement after I was playing. So that was back in uh, so so ninety five first came down here or ninety four after we first won the Stanley Cup, and then two o three we uh, we got the hotel and uh, been hanging out here ever since. Anytime I get, any chance I get, Michael Jordan's a big fisherman. Have you guys ever gone fishing? Two greats of sports history. He's got a beautiful boat as well. He loves the, he loves the water. Uh, you know, Tiger loves the water. Uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a big adventure out there. Uh, as my captain uh, used to say, there's no fences when you get out, uh, out of the marina. And uh, we've seen a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, we've had a, a, a lot of amazing times with family and friends. My kids growing up on the water and seeing some things that you would never see uh, if you never got on the water. So, uh, the adventure for me was just so incredible that, uh, it's something that, uh, I'll continue to do and, uh, and look for newer, greater adventures, uh, every year. Mark Massier joining us on behalf of a queso hemp powered hydration hockey hall of famer, six time Stanley cup champion. Make sure to follow him on Instagram at the real Mark Massier. Mark, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Best of luck in the future. And, uh, hope you catch some big fish out there. I'm I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) All the while staying hydrated. That's right. (laughs) You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment, just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season. No waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy. Download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. Now, here's Brian's interview with Andre Iguodala from July 2018. 
Well, thanks for tuning in. Joining me on the show this week, Andre Iguodala, three-time NBA champion, NBA Finals MVP in 2015, also doing some incredible things in Silicon Valley in the tech sector. He's got a company called F9 Strategies. We'll dig into all of that with Andre Iguodala on today's show. Andre, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really uh, excited about this conversation. Congratulations on another NBA title. We'll talk some basketball a little bit later. But, you know, since this is a business show, I want to know how early in your career, maybe it was even at the University of Arizona, did you understand the importance of investing and focusing on the business off the basketball court? It was probably uh, in my early years in uh, Philly. I had some really good veterans um, who I just, you know, I just watched move from uh, from a distance. You know, just seeing how they move, listening to a lot of the conversation. You know, I was one of those rookies who, uh, you know, I used to kind of bother the, the veterans, uh, just listening to the conversation, jumping in, jumping out, and they were like, here goes rookie. So um, I was a really curious um, type of person early on. Had a, a good agent who had some really um, business-savvy clients. Where I could talk to a lot. So even before I got to the league, I asked a few questions about that. But seeing it up close and personal with some of my teammates, uh, with the good veterans I had, um, it gave me a good idea of, you know, I, I knew who to go to. And uh, I knew they knew someone um, that I could ask some of the questions that I had um, going forward. Your agent back then was Rob Polinka, who runs the Lakers now, correct? Correct. Yeah, so, so he, I have heard that about him, that he was really good with his clients. Obviously, Kobe was one of his clients. So I would imagine, you know, if you had access to some of his other clients, you probably were able to pick some pretty uh, smart people's brains. Yeah, so obviously Kobe Bryant, uh, everyone knows. Um, but he had some, uh, he had clients from all, seems like all walks of life. You know, I remember Chris Kamen, um, who was um, from the Michigan area, a smart guy. Uh, we'd see each other at weddings. Uh, Corey Maggetti, who I trained with in the summertime in Chicago. Um, Gerald Wallace was a guy from the South, uh, more laid back. Um, so it, it, it seemed Carlos Boozer was another guy who um, had a couple uh, large deals in the NBA, had a, a nice, solid career. So um, James Harden, some younger guys. Uh, he had Kevin Durant for a, a very short stint. So uh, he has... He's had clients uh, who were superstars, just clients who had big impacts on the teams. And uh, Derek Fisher was another one of his clients who uh, became a head coach of the Knicks. And um, now he's doing some uh, broadcasting. So um, he's a, he was an, another type of one of those veteran guys who you can bounce things off of, um, who played with Shaquille O'Neal, uh, who's one of the one, one of the more business savvy, made the most of uh, his off-the-court uh, endeavors and, and turned that into a real business uh, after basketball. So, you know, you could ask Derek Fisher about um, a lot of different things and, and what he experienced with some of those teammates, such as Shaq. Andre, I love the athletes who are prepared, who do their homework with business just like they would preparing for a, a basketball game. One of the things I heard about you is in 2011 during the NBA lockout that you had an internship with Merrill Lynch and that when you're sitting down for a pitch from someone, you've done your homework and you always show up prepared where does that come from? Well, I was um, I always had good grades 
from an early age. So school, school wasn't, you know, I had a um, pretty strict mother who pretty much let me know uh, school came first. School wasn't, it wasn't hard to me though, so I enjoyed school. So it was something that I, enjoy, that I enjoyed and I, I was very competitive. So not just basketball that I, I wanted to be the best at, but, you know, I wanted to be the fastest reader. I wanted to be the best at math. Um, I wanted to have the, I wanted to have the best um, group projects if I was working with anyone. So that's just a competitive nature. Uh, I guess if you know you, you try to get kids to want to do better in school, you know, for some kids you got to tailor the way they look at things. And you know, the way I looked at school was just kind of competition, which is pretty funny. Um, so it just it just came natural to me. So I knew, I knew that if I wanted to have a good project to do well on a test or do well in the paper, then I had to know what it was about and I had to, you know, go research and I had to go read. So it's just something that, you know, I built a really strong foundation and it became something that's natural. So um, from there, from that point on, it just, you know, as you go through each uh, years of life, you just learn how to retain information and it's just something I formed at a young age. It's interesting you mentioned the competitive nature off the court because I talked to a lot of athletes and they tell me now, Brian, you know, it used to be we were competitive with, you know, our on the court or on the field things. Some guys competitive with cars or the latest gadgets. But now it sounds like athletes are competitive with their business portfolios. Is that going on in your locker room? I think with our team, uh, we don't look at it as a competition as much. But I think we try to, you know, you know, we kind of, give each other a little, you know, rib shots as far as who's doing what and what we got access to. But we all want to keep things open for one another. And, you know, say, if I got access to this, I'm going to try to help, you know, this guy out or uh, with this information. Um, you know, I've, I've asked a few things uh, that I wasn't quite clear on. And he's told me, or Steph's asked me, you know, why did you invest in this company? He's also asking me, uh, why didn't you invest in a company that I passed on and uh, or companies that I passed on and, We've had conversations about that. So what our team is all about, uh, keeping the information flowing, keeping everyone up to date. Uh, we got so many guys who are, who are in the tech space because it's in our backyard um, that there's some really good you know, information being thrown around. Yeah, let's dig in on that for a minute. So I read that you work with a gentleman named Rudy Klein Thomas. You guys are business partners on the company F9 Strategies, as I mentioned earlier. How did you and Rudy meet and how did he earn your trust? So that was an uh, interesting story as well. I had a teammate, I believe it was my third year in the league, and uh, he was a rookie. So any of the rookies, you know, you try to get a good feel for them, you know, see how you can help them. You want to try to help them have the uh, as long as a career um, as their body will allow them. And you know that their career is going to come to an end. You know, the average career for NBA players, four and a half years. So it's a small window. The guys got to get a lot out of it. Um, and really their financial stability or financial uh, financial education piece is, is important because God, everyone thinks they're going to play 10, 15 years. It's just not possible. So, you know, um, each rookie, you let them know, you know, you try to build a relationship with them, you know, to try to help them along the way. And this particular rookie, you know, I was hanging out with a lot off the court. 
he's had an injury, so I was trying to help him get back on the court and, and making sure he's doing the right things off the court as far as being focused and just being locked in. And just so happened uh, he was working with Rudy. They went to the same school. They went there both for the province. So Rudy and I would see each other from time to time, and he, you know, he would say, "I appreciate you looking after my young guy. You know, he needs to you know, someone to stay on top of him, stay." Uh, stay on him about being focused and, you know, being early, being late, just small things. So uh, he and I had, you know, built a relationship from that. Um, it was never working, uh, us working together. It was never about that. It's just about helping um, someone we both had interest in uh, as a person. So from there, it's it just, it's, it just uh, the trust built from that. So you guys are equal partners in this investment firm, from what I understand. And, you work with a number of different companies now that you've invested in, uh, the mattress online retailer Casper, uh, the Players Tribune, other companies. When you're working with Rudy, how does that work where you guys figure out, like, which are the companies we want to invest in? Where do we want to pass? I imagine, like, to the people listening to this, there's a little bit of Shark Tank on this going on, right? Definitely. You know, we, we have our, we have our uh, roadmap how do we get to invest in the company and we have a lot of different questions we have uh, you know obviously you want to know about the company uh, you want to have a great idea um, you know it's kind of like you to try to you try to be a psychic you know trying to read the future you know that uh, you're trying to get a good feel on you know um, how a consumer will respond to this uh, it's something that to catch on to them because uh, sometimes you have the best ideas that just never catch on you know or, or they just they just aren't um, executed as well. So you have to try to get a, a good feel for the founder and see how they are. Um, you, you definitely have to understand what the product is. Uh, but, you know, we have a lot of questions uh, that we ask and, and we do, um, we run by each other and say, you know, does this, this, this company have this? You know, um, will we get along with how the chemistry with the founder? You know, what type of person are they? You know, are, are they genuine? You know, is, is it an organic uh, vibe when we meet with them? And, you know, how can we help the company? You know, or, or, or who do we know that we can bring along uh, if we do get in that can help, help the company as well? So there's a myriad of questions that we have or a checklist um, that we go through to see is this something that we want to uh, be involved with? Yeah, it's so interesting how. All of this has evolved for athletes. It used to be back in the day, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a company comes to you and says, hey, we want to pay you X for an endorsement for our company. Now it seems like more athletes like yourself are more interested in the equity of a company. Obviously, there's the Beats by Dre story with LeBron uh, where he hit on that. Is that kind of the ultimate goal where, gosh, I want to invest in a number of different companies and hope that I go three for 10 on my investments? Yes, that's, that's perfectly put. Um, I, just, I was just using that analogy last week. We were talking about um, investing in companies and how much do you invest and, uh, you know, what number, what's your range of investing? And I tell, you know, all the athletes or the people that I'm talking to is, you know, it's really diversification. So you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket or, or have one huge bet on one company because, you know, you can miss on that one company, you know, uh, but having a lot of, having a, a one big pot and spreading that 
to as many different companies as possible. You know, now you're trying to hit 300. You know, batting 300 is Hall of Fame in baseball. Um, and, and, and it's similar in the, in the tech scene. You know, uh, you're trying to bat 300, and you know you've done some uh, some good hitting um, just by 3 out of 10 because it's very risky, and, and that's a big part of the education piece we try to give to our athletes uh, when we bring them on or we trying to help out, not just in basketball, but different sports. It's, you know, uh, there's a risk involved in this, and we want you to understand this risk. And uh, if you know that going in, then, then you're able to uh, look at it from a different view, and, and you're able to stomach some of your losses. The other thing, too, I've done some work with the Players Tribune, Derek Jeter's digital publishing company. I know you're an investor in that. They're doing great, and they're growing, and I love their platform. But if you're an investor like yourself, that's a long-term play, right? Like you're not going to see money back in the first few years. You've got to look at that and say, well, maybe I'll get my money back in five or ten years, but it's not going to come right away. So I would imagine there's some of those investments where it's the longer-term play, right? Yes, most uh, most of it is the longer-term play. I mean, you've had a few situations where uh, companies have been bought out you know, faster than you thought, thought by, by, you know, um, Alphabet uh, or Facebook or Apple. Um, so those always go well, but those are normally surprising. But, you know, you put yourself in the mind frame that this is a long-term investment and, you know, you just keep yourself up to date with what's going on and, uh, you know, various rounds, you know, C rounds or uh, the company is close to IPO and, and, you know, depending on the landscape, uh, you see a lot of tech IPOs this year, actually, and then I believe you're going to see a lot more Next year, um, then you know, you know, you kind of know it's a cycle that keeps going. You know, IPOs after a certain amount of years, and then you know, the larger rounds of investing uh, will start back up again. So, do you make a lot of money? Do you take a certain amount of your money and say, okay, this is earmarked for investments? I'm not gonna, you know, th- like this. $2 million or $3 million, whatever it is, is earmarked for investments. I would imagine you, like any of us who invest, have a budget for what you're going to earmark for investments. Yes, you do have a budget, um, you know, and it's on a it's on a smaller percentage side um, of your total income, you know. So for athletes, we make a lot of our money in, in this short window uh, of our lives. And uh, you want to you want to take a large portion of that, and you want to be conservative because this you know you're gonna hopefully you'll live to be 90 years old. So we're done playing when we're 35. So you know you got you know 55 65 years of life uh, remaining uh, that you want to spread out, and you just want to live off the interest on the money that you save. So. There's that side of it that you have to be very conservative and be smart. Uh, but then there's, you know, like I say, you diversify and you take a small portion, and you put it over here in this, you know, this basket. If you're interested in the tech world, if it's something that uh, grabs your attention, that you can constantly have information flowing in every day because you got to keep yourself up to date. Um, and you take that small portion and, and you divide that on all the things that are going on in the tech world. And, you know, um, if you hit on something, then great. You know, you continue in it, and you know you grow bigger and bigger. And that's what Rudy and myself are trying to are trying to do. Um, you know, post career basketball is uh, we built a really good foundation of being a tech guys in sports. And we want to bring another a lot of athletes along with us, but you know, it's a small portion of uh, total income. 
I've talked to athletes and I've had Rich Kleiman on this show too. And, and the term that I've heard a lot lately is deal flow. Like you want to be brought into deal flow where you're hearing about the creme de la creme VC opportunities. I see that you're part of the Players Tech Summit in San Francisco. I would imagine that event brings you into those deal flow conversations, right? Yes, this uh be our second year um, doing the uh, Players Tech Summit uh, along with Bloomberg. Uh, they'll be pre- um, hosting it with us as well this year for the second time. And like I said, we've had athletes of from all the different types of sports. You know, we had a, a professional lacrosse player last year. Uh, it's tougher for the NFL guys to come because you know they're in a training camp, getting ready for the season. Um, track and field athletes are in season two, but I've had a lot of different conversations uh, with some of the you know top track and field athletes, uh, WNBA players, uh, NBA players, obviously um, are there as well. Uh, we have some former NFL players as well. Uh, some close friends of mine, who, uh, and then some, some some guys who are huge fans of uh, were involved last year. Uh, it was a great time. Um, you know, I expected it to be great, but it was it was even better than I expected, and I expected it to, to continue to grow. And just that, like I said, like you said, that deal flow um, is a big part of that. You know, we've had uh, different media companies come in, uh, we've had consumer based companies come in and uh, pitch their product to give athletes a view. This is what it's like uh, to be pitched by a company. And what are some of the things you look for um, if you wanted to invest? Uh, what are some of the things you look for that make you not want to invest? And, you know, guys were able to have some great conversations. And, um, you know, you start the deal flow, you start seeing, putting your, aligning yourself with, you know, the people who are in some of these deals and some of the companies uh you know, we get too many calls. You know, we're getting so many people wanting to be involved. We have to turn some away, sadly. But uh, it was a great event, um, and we're looking forward to, you know, having it annually and keep these conversations going. And, you know, hopefully the, the, the deal flow is, you know, this is the place where the deal flow uh, is at for athletes. Well, I would imagine that gives you a pretty interesting seat at the table, too. I mean, anything I've seen in conjunction with that event, I've seen your name on it. And... You know, I think, wow, that's great that Andre's bringing all of these people, whether they're business people or athletes, together for one day at this place. That's got to give you an interesting seat at the table. Oh, definitely. So, you know, we're, we're reaching out to um, all the companies um, that I've had access to. Um, and then in turn, you know, you know, some of the people that I've been, some of the companies that I've been to get in contact with, they start to reach out. You know, because, you know, they understand that uh, there is an influence side and there's an influence that athletes have, um, you know, that can bring some recognition to their company, especially with, uh, you know, the valuations of the sports now because it's, you know, the only real live content are left uh, with so much disruption going on, uh, content. And then you, you know, you just, you know, now you have your pick of the litter, like, you know, who do I go out you know, who do I, who do we bring along this time? And, you know, hopefully if we miss out on someone, uh, there's opportunities in the future. But like I said, it just gives me an opportunity, like, like you said, to get that deal flow and, um, you know, continue this athlete tech, um, networking, seeing that, you know, athletes definitely want to be a part of. 
I know you mentioned earlier that the founder of a startup is a big factor for you. But if I'm sitting down to pitch you and Rudy, and I know you sit, you know, at the ski resorts or in San Francisco, people sit in a room and they pitch you. What are the elements of a successful pitch? What resonates with you if I'm going to sit in a room and pitch you? Oh, I want it to be organic. I want it to really flow. You know, um, you know, if you ask one question and, you know, that turns into uh, that one question can answer, you know, five of the next questions that we have uh, just by having a conversation and going back and forth and, you know, uh, you know, what are your interests? And, you know, most of the time the interest is their company. So, you know, that's just conversation just flowing and, and it's really organic and, um, we're just really the information is really being shared on both sides. You know, who, who we've invested in, why we would like to invest in that company. That's a question that uh, the founder has as well. So, you know, it's, it's just not us with the questions and, and the conversations flowing really well. Um, that's an important part of it, you know, because you want to have a good relationship with the founder. You know, um, I'm the type of investor where I'm, you know, more passive, where I don't want to interrupt what the founder's doing. You know, I want them to, you know, uh, just have the confidence that uh, I believe in them, our team, Rudy and myself believe in them, and uh, we'll do whatever um, on our end, you know, to help them out. Andre, you've had the opportunity, including before last season, to go sign as a free agent with other teams and, and probably make more money as far as your NBA salary is concerned. But how big of an advantage is it playing for the Warriors and being right there in Silicon Valley where you've got access to all these great startups and, and pretty incredible business minds? Well, that's a key part to it, you know, that Silicon Valley is pretty much our backyard. and um, We feel like to really have access to something, to really be a part of something, you have to be where it's happening. To, to really get in on it and, and to really uh, make the most um, of being involved in, especially like like we're talking about the tech scene, it's in our backyard. So um, it's getting easier, uh, I would say, um, because you're seeing these little smaller tech hubs being built in different places uh, across the country. You know, there's, you know, you look at Austin, Texas, you know, you look at uh, little spots being built in the Midwest, uh, you know, New York is building, trying to build a small tech hub, and you look at Miami or, or around the South Atlanta. So you see them popping up in little pockets um, around the country, but, you know, it's in our backyard in the Bay Area, so, you know, it can't be a better place. But, you know, you look at the eSports team, and a lot of NBA owners are invested in eSports teams. Um, so, you know, that makes it easier to have access if you're not in the Bay, Bay Area. Um, so, you know, but as of right now, it's the hotbed and, and it's where the, the place to be. Well, and even I know you have done traveling with Nike before. They've taken you to, to Asia and places all over the world. When you go to those countries, I'm sure you look at those areas, some of them as fertile ground for investments. I know, you know, a few years ago, I actually went over to China with Steve Nash, Yao Ming, Kobe, and a few other players. And it was really eye opening for them because they were like, wow. This is a ground that is kind of unchartered and, and, you know, there's a lot of business to be done here, kind of U.S. circa 1970s. Yeah, actually, we were, we had training camp in China last 
this past this past season. Um, so it was 2017 training camp, and uh, we went to the Silicon Valley of China, which I believe was Shenzhen. And uh, you know, we had a lot of great conversations. Like that city was just started. It was just the city actually started in like 1960, 1970. So the city was pretty young, and to see how it's expanded is just uh, unreal. Like you could, we wouldn't believe it. It's like in New York, and it, it hadn't been around for, but for you know, 40 years, and uh, it, it was the uh, tech hub of China. And you look at some of the companies like uh, Alibaba or Tencent, and um, some of the things these companies are doing with IPO and, and they're able to scale um, the same way uh, Google is or Apple is. And, you know, we see uh, Apple as a hardware company, but if you look at their uh, subscription-based uh, products uh, from the cloud-based to the music, uh, to content, it's, you know, they've been able to scale. And, you know, that's something I haven't talked about yet, but uh, the company's ability to scale, um, probably the most important uh, aspect of uh, of investing in it. Hmm. Well, when you look at China, too, they have six times as many people as we have in the yeah. United States. So, so many more potential consumers, right? Yeah, and then uh, Silicon Valley is uh, one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Mine, and, too. I uh, love that show. <laughs> you see uh, one of the characters, uh, uh, I forgot his name, but uh, the, the, the Asian character, um, he just has all the ideas um, that the guys are building, and he's just building that same idea in China. He's just building the Chinese version because, you know, it, it's, it's six times more likely to be successful uh, just based on population alone. No, I wouldn't say based on population because we're only 350 million people in uh, America, and there's, what, 2 billion in China? Yeah, so almost seven times so as many people. Times, seven times, yeah, seven times. So there's seven times. We're, right, we're, right, we're around it right now, six, seven times more likely to be successful just based on population alone, not even execution, just based on population. When are you going to do a cameo on Silicon Valley? They got to get you on there. Yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working. <laughs> on that. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get it done soon. You know, uh, in the sports world, you got to strike while the iron's hot. So, you know, uh, we've, we've been able to have a, a little bit of success on the court. So, um, yeah, I'm a little jealous of KD. KD was on Billions, which is, also one of my favorite shows. And uh, they do some tech things in there. Uh, the girl Taylor, uh, you know, she's doing some things. She's starting her own fun, and, and uh, she's into that uh, tech part because she's kind of a colder engineer type type of girl. So uh, Katie was able to be on that show, and uh, it was good to see him on it. See, that's all you guys have to do, though, is just mention, hey, I like this show. I'd love to do a cameo. And most of the time, if it fits with your schedule, they're going to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm a little. I'm on. A, I'm on the older side. I'm still. I'm still competing really well, and I'm still playing young. But um, you know, it's a little easier for the uh, superstars to just say, "I like this show. Put me on there," uh, which they deserve uh, rightfully. So I'm just trying to keep up with those guys, and uh, you know, you know, hanging out with Katie and Steph and, and, and the world there, and uh, uh, they give me some access as well. So you know, I have to think. Some things I hang out with them, and uh, well, hopefully I, I reciprocate too. I had a really good team uh, with Rudy and you know, my publicist, and um, you know my entertainment agency. So if I can help them, I always try to reciprocate. 
Now, I really like how you set your career up. You'll never remember this, but I, I did some consulting for Nike years ago. So I saw you at Nike All-America camp when you were really young. And then I even saw you like in Augusta at the Peach Jam uh, coaching some AAU teams. And I've always liked how you carry yourself. You've always been very mature, very businesslike, very professional. Um, I think you're a great dresser. You know, like I, I look at some of this stuff that James Harden and Russell Westbrook are wearing and they look like they're coming to press conferences with pajamas on. And, and I much prefer like your fashion sense and, and you're on the cover of GQ and not to rip on, on Russ and, and Harden, but like I, I like your style and I like how you do things. And, uh, you know, so congratulations on that. But one of the things that you've done extremely well is, like you just said, you've been able to prolong your career. You've been playing for a long time now. How do you do that? How do you keep yourself in peak shape? Because you're playing long seasons now, Andre. I mean, got the regular season, but then you're playing another few months when you're competing for championships. Yeah, the last four seasons have been very long. And I uh, first appreciate uh, the compliment. Uh I'm actually a fan of Russ and uh, James' style because it fits them. So I'm always right. Uh, That's true. I always say your style has to fit you, so it's more of a preference thing. But you know, I, my style was just a little bit different. But as far as the season, um, there's no off season anymore. That's just how you have to look at it. Um, probably the last two weeks, three weeks, uh, I've been able to just really shut it down and kind of relax. And I really I've cheated pretty bad on my diet, but uh, I think. I haven't gained any weight. If anything, I might have lost two pounds. So uh, my, my DNA structure is pretty good as far as being an athlete. But I'm pretty strict um, during training and during the season uh, with my diet and, and what I'm taking. And, you know, there's so much technology out there. Uh, there's so much information as far as, you know, they can just draw your blood and tell you uh, what your body needs, what your body um, uses um, better for you versus someone else. You know, how can I heal faster? You know, what nutrients or what vitamins um, are best for me? So, you know, our team's on top of all that. Uh, you're starting to see a lot of organizations. It's like, you know, it's not just, you know, sign an athlete up, pay them to play. You know, we're really trying to get the most out of the athletes. Um, and their health is a huge part of that, you know, and it goes all the way to sleep. You know, how many hours a night I'm getting to sleep, tracking my sleep, um, you know, making the most of that time in the gym because I can't spend as much time in the gym as I used to be where I could just be in the gym hours upon hours just working out. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of load that comes with that. And now it's just working uh, not harder, but not just harder, but smarter, you know, so actually working sh- a shorter amount of time, it's just being more efficient and getting more out of the workout and um, other things off the court as well, you know, with yoga or, or meditation, um, add those things too. So, um, you know, the life's pretty busy, especially with uh, new newer kid now. The, the young baby just turned one. So, congratulations, got three kids. Thanks, got three kids running around and just trying to keep up with them. You seem to be like Benjamin Button every time I see you. Like you, you look like you're getting younger. And, and here's a business idea for you: if you can cheat on your diet and and lose two pounds, I think anyone would sign up for how you're able to do that. So, uh, clue us in on that. Before I let you go, just a few basketball questions. So, you guys just signed Demarcus Cousins. I look at your team, and it seems like you're just getting stronger and stronger. How? 
are you able to keep that core together? I know you're not the GM, but from afar, it seems like you have such a good chemistry on that team and that you genuinely like each other on that roster. Yeah, well, we've, we've been able to build a really stable culture, what we stand for, and I think that starts with uh, Steph Curry, uh, who was here before all of us, and you know just what the team was trying to build uh, as far as the type of character or player that they wanted. And he's, he, he has a very strong personality, and I say that as far as he won't waver as, as far as who he is as a person, you know, you're never going to work uh, wondering what he's going to be like on that particular day. He's, I've been knowing him for five years, and he's the same person every single day. You know, just a solid human being. And uh, that's very hard to say for um, the six billion people on this planet. It's very uh, rare you run into a, a guy like that. So he, he sets the foundation, um, and his talent is is just unique as well. Um, and then from there, we know, we, you know, you have Clay Thompson, who's just, you know, he grew up in the NBA as well, so he knows what it's about. You know, he's not, um, he's not going to change as a person because not he, everything, he's seen everything before, you know, he grew up in the environment, so he, you know, he, he won't get be awestruck, you know, he, he's, he's used to seeing pressure situations and, you know, Draymond Green, who compliments those two as well, because, you know, not to say he comes from the opposite, but he comes with that hunger. Like, you know, I haven't been able to, you know, have much throughout my life, so I'm going to go out and get it. And he's the type of guy that makes the most um, out of his uh, career, you know, being six six, being a power forward, guarding centers, and uh, shutting those guys down. And you can go all the way down the line, and, you know, people just enjoy doing their job at its purest form, and, and that's what we try to do. And that's how we were able to, go out and get free agents and say, here, you want to play basketball the way it's supposed to be played and you want to have fun while you're doing it. Um, and we'll, we'll help the guys uh, with the media because that's a whole different side that comes with it. But, you know, we try to have fun with that as well, being that it's uh, pretty much 24-hour access to us during the season. So guys just guys just want to be a part of something special and they want to, they want to be able to smile every day when they go to work and, and we try to build that environment. You guys have won three of the last four NBA championships. I was listening to Serena Williams two days ago at a post-Wimbledon press conference, and someone asked her about what makes her great. And she says, everyone always plays me at their greatest, so I have to be greater. And I thought about our conversation today and the fact that you guys have a target on your back. And when you play a team, whether it's regular season or playoffs, they are bringing you their absolute best. How hard is it to maintain the level that you guys have maintained when the other team is playing at their peak in order to try and compete with you? Well, we've got we've got a little bit. Uh, we've been blessed to um, timing wise and how things have been aligned for us. You know, you talk about you know just getting our roster and how it was built. You know, based on you know Steph having an ankle injury and you know his uh, salary being below his uh, market value, you would say, early on. and We were able to make moves based on that and get KD. And um, now DeMarcus Cousins, because of his injury, uh, was able to take a lower salary and come to us for a year. So just things like that. And getting with Steve Kerr at, at the right time, uh, you know, having Mark Jackson early on, kind of helping that foundation. And then 
getting Steve Kerr uh, right as we were about to peak, uh, him being the, the, a really uh, great fit for this team while we were peaking. And he had, what was it, five rings before he even got to us. So he's been able to understand. Uh, the three of those rings were in consecutive years. So he understands what, is, what it feels like to compete every single day and take everyone's best shot every single day playing because he was able to play with Michael Jordan. So we always say, um, you know, it may look rocky for us at times, but we'll always end end up the most prepared team in the NBA because we get everyone's best shot 82 times uh, per season. So we're the most prepared because we've we've had the best practice, you know, to prepare us for the postseason. So, and, and we try to take those 82 games as, preparation for the playoffs last question for you i know you're an avid golfer uh i know steph plays and i've heard that he wants to play on the tour when when he's done what are your i mean do you just enjoy playing golf or do you look at your your post career and go you know what i might want to try and play on the tour whether it's the the senior tour or uh the regular tour yeah i don't have a shot (laughs) (laughs) steph um Steph will be on tour. He'll be on one of those tours. Uh, I can I, I, I will bet on that. If uh, if there is something I can put a lot of money on, uh, unresponsibly, that's something I will bet on. I'm not a betting guy actually uh, on anything, but I'll bet on that. I watched him shoot a uh, an easy 67. Wow! Very at a very tough course. Very tough course, and uh, we had like a six of them out there. And uh, he started off with a birdie, ended with a birdie. And he hits the ball long, and he used to have like a little fade, but now he's got a little draw. The ball goes farther. Uh, he, it's just it's actually fun to watch him play golf. Like when I'm playing with him, it, I, I don't play well because I'm just too involved with watching him. So the short game's good. He can put the ball. He can put the ball really well. So he'll be on tour uh, sometime soon, and uh, hopefully, um, I'll have uh, done really well in the tech world and. Uh, I can buy a patch on his uh, shirt. Exactly. Uh, Something like Qualtics. Something like uh, a company like Qualtics that you see. uh, I'm I'm pretty good friends with the uh, founder of that company as well, which is a um, survey-based enterprise company. So um, that's what my my thoughts are. That's awesome. Yeah, I see. As far as being involved in the golf like I saw Smoltz play a Champions Tour event recently, and he's a really good golfer. But when you go against the best golfers, that's hard. But you know, I've heard from people other than just you saying that Steph is like legit. Like he could play on the tour if he wants to at some point. Yeah he he played in Web dot com event last year and didn't finish last. And you think about it, like that's not his day job, right? And um. I, I, I would take a little bit of credit that I helped him prepare. Oh, we played like nine holes the day before. And he got, <laughs> that was like his preparation, like nine holes. He was trying to figure out which ball he was using. He was like, oh, I'm going to hit two balls off the TV on mine. I said, whatever you need. Um, that was kind of like his caddy for the day. And uh, he was trying to figure out which ball to use. Um, and he, Like I said, he didn't finish last, which is amazing. And uh, it was something funny. They, uh, he was telling me that there was a young kid in this one of his uh, groups that he was paired with uh, one of the days, one of the two days because he didn't make the cut. And uh, his mom said something to him like mid-round, like, can you please stop hitting the ball past my son? <laughs> like, it's a little embarrassing. Like, you don't even practice. Like, this isn't your 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 day job. And you're out here, you know, hitting the 
ball of tea farther than this. But um, like I said, he's not too tall to play golf. He's kind of got the perfect height. He's like 6'3", 6'4", which is like around DJ and some of those longer hitters. So he's not too tall, but at the same time, he's able to use his height and length. Um, and then he's got the hand-eye, you know, he's got the hand-eye twitch thing that just makes him really good at uh, all types of sports. Like he's good at darts, bowling, uh, golf, uh, just uh, football, baseball, all those sports. He's just got that hand-eye thing. Well, Andre, it has been a pleasure speaking with you here on Sports Business Radio. Keep up the great work. I'm very happy for your success. Like I said, I've watched you for a long time. Big fan of how you conduct your business on and off the court. I think you're the coach on the court for that team. I really do. I watched you during the playoffs and, and saw how you, you know, coach guys even when you were hurt. And I think you're just such a big part of the success of that team. So, and I'm excited for your, your business ventures as well. I'll watch those closely. Thank you for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven-inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered, too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.